0: We're going to talk about identity this morning. What I'd like to to, um, refer to in Galatians 6, it talks about the new creation. Um, And when we come to Jesus, we're, we're transformed. We're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you become a new creation. It says, The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, old things passed away um, it in uh, how do we say this you're not instantly perfect. you might have realized that by now. <laughs> you know I wish it worked like that, but it didn't. you know for a long time in the church, it was like, all you need is Jesus and you know but actually it, in Romans it talks about uh, being transformed by the renewing of our mind in a process, and so um, we are made alive inside in our spirit, absolutely and that's the beginning of our identity. our identity. In the kingdom, in the family of God, is formed from the inside out. Okay? We are first transformed in our spirit man. Did you find it? Okay. <laughs> and then it starts working through our, our mind, will, and emotions and into the expression of thank you. Um, into expression of who we are. So your identity is very important. Most of us from our natural development have been broken in our identity. We don't, we're not completely who God made us to be. There are gaps, there's brokenness, there's blocks in us that prevent us from really living out who God made us to be inside. And when you come to Christ, it, the life inside you and your spirit come, is made alive again, your spirit's made alive, and from that living place, there's a transformational a restoration and transformation that starts to happen. So what we want to do is um, explore this morning about identity and how our identity is formed in the natural and then how God can transform it in the spiritual. Um, and I, I mentioned this the first couple of days, and I, I should ask, are there any new people here this morning that, that haven't been here for the weekend? Welcome. We didn't have a chance to, to be here this weekend, but we welcome you. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you here, being here. Um, but God has something special for what he has for your identity. Um, I think sometimes we often feel or know inside that we're meant to be more than we are, yeah? And we long for that, but we don't really know why we're not able to be this person we feel we are on the inside. Um, and so th- we're going to explore what happens in our identity formation today and then see how the Lord wants to reform you into the new creation, okay? So we have this, theory. Now that's how you're supposed to be Okay, that's the picture of the way God intended you to be. Now, if you don't feel like that, something's gone wrong, okay? So that's what we're going to look at today, as soon as I get my thing up here. I think if we go one more. There they are, okay. There are certain things being formed in your personality during this time. And what's being formed in us, in our identity, it has to do with Beginning to realize sexual uh, identification, this is the age when you begin to realize there's a difference between boys and girls, and it's not often that you, um, you know, not until this age can you really start having an understanding of that. This is also an age when you begin to verbalize. You can you can begin to speak out and, and express what really has been going on inside of you for a number of years. It's interesting because um, lots of times people wonder um, why their children will suddenly start talking about things that, you know, at three and five years old, that maybe happened when they were little. They have impressions from their younger years, but they didn't have the language or the ability to express it. So three to five, they'll st- in their play, when, you, when you're playing or when you're speaking, you start speaking out things that happened earlier. Okay, in your life, and and um, if you listen, if you for your own children, if you listen to them, you'll find out what's going on inside of them in their play especially because they play out their, their, what's happening inside of them. But let's look at sexual identification. I had a, my nephew when he was about oh he's about three or four. And my sister had, she's had nine children, bless her heart. Anyway, she's the youngest. She claims that we didn't all take our quota, so that's why she got the rest. But that's kind of a family trip. But but she has a lovely family. They're wonderful, seven boys and two girls. So the first two boys, you know, of course, they you know, boy equipment. And then Marianne was born, and there's one, two, three. There were three before her. She was the fourth. So um, they've only been around boys. You know, so my sister was changing Marianne's diaper one day, and Peter was sitting talking to his mom on the on the sink and or in the little co- uh, counter. And he's look and and when she took off the diaper from Marianne, she, he was like, <gasps> "What happened to her? <laughs> you know, you know, and, you know." He was shocked. Where's where's her penis? You know, and my, my sister. Uh, let me say this: my sister taught them proper names for body parts. Okay, there's a reason why. Okay, when you make these funny little names for body parts, because we're Trying to be, you know, sensitive or whatever. There's a one friend of ours. She was a missionary, they, and she had boys. And she's they used to call their penis Lulu. Okay, oh, you're Lulu. Okay, now it comes along. They have a, a guest student come to live with them teen, when she, in um, when they were living overseas from Brazil. Do you know what her name was? Lulu. The boys would crack up at the table every time they said her name. Why would anybody name their kid? Lou? You know, and they, they had explained explain this whole thing. Save yourself the trouble. Use the scientific names. It's perfectly fine. You know, it's just it's better. Nobody's going to name their child after the scientific body part name, so you're safe. You know, but the kids would just laugh and have fits. You know, because they'd say her name and they'd go, "Whoa!" You know, you know, and the girls had no idea why they were laughing. You know, so they couldn't tell her. You know, so it was just very uncomfortable. So anyway. Save yourself a lot of trouble. Okay, so this is the time when you're realizing what does it mean to be a boy, what does it mean to be a girl? Um, But if you're finding out what does it mean to be a boy in my culture, what does it mean to be a girl in my culture? It's a very important time for you to to have had proper role modeling and input from a a male model if you're a boy, from a female model if you're a girl. Um, It's not possible to model the opposite sex for children. Um, And so there is a need if you're a single mom or single dad and your children don't have that role model to to really seek out role models for them. It's very important for boys to have male role models and girls. They need father role models. And in the church, we need to be sensitive to that. When there's a a single parent family, they need support and they need their children to have the opportunity to be around role models that they can relate to you know, and um, spiritual moms and dads in churches are very important. Um, anyway, so this is when you're beginning to form your sexual identification. Um, you're, you're learning what it means to be a boy or a girl in your family, in your culture, um, in the greater context of, of, of your community. And so behaviors are important and what boys, you know, what are boys like, what are girls like. Um, and having a chance to explore that and to get comfortable with that. The kids at three to five years old are not fully formed and, and clearly formed into their identities yet. It's They're malleable. So they, the input and the modeling and the teaching is very important um, to be secure in who God made them to be. Now, there's a teaching or there's a belief that um, from a, a segment of our society that because children are are not are confused in a sense or not so clear about their identity at this age that they could be um, homosexual or something of that nature and this that's not really the case scientifically we know the kids are still forming their identity at this time just because they're not fully securely formed does not mean that they are they have um, this pre um, predisposition to be um, homosexual or whatever so it's important we understand that in the context of what we know today is happening in the world. And so um, it's important that we also, I'm very firm about the, the, the standard is God's word, okay? What God says is true is true. He knows how he made us. He's our creator. And he knows clearly how he made us. And he, he, he's the one that can define what is accurate and what is not. Um, I love, there's no, no issue about people at all. We love them. And, you know, we all, we all struggle with something. You know, this, there's there's all, we all have things in our life that we have to deal with, weaknesses and, and start, you know, things that disturb our peace and cause us to fall or sin or whatever. And, you know, James said, if you say you don't sin, the truth is not in you. You're a liar. You know, we all sin. We don't practice sin, but we're not, we're still human and we fall and we make mistakes and we have to get up and ask forgiveness and go on. Um but what God says is true is true. And we'll leave it at that, okay? Um, information gathering. This is when you begin to wonder about the world. You want to know things. So you have lots of questions. And you can drive your parents absolutely nuts with your questions, you know? And some of you, that, some kids that are very, um, yeah, they're really interested, they're really intelligent, they're really sharp, they have lots of questions. And they talk all the time, you know? And some of you might have been, if your parents understood what you needed, they entered into the conversation with you and they defined things for you. You need to know um, what the names of things are in labeling things, labeling emotions. That's important. It's very important that a child is, a, is able to understand what a feeling is and how to label it. Um, in families where emotions are not dealt with or not really encouraged, a lot of times people don't actually understand how to express what they're feeling, and that's not helpful. It's 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 a problem for, for many people in, in um, different situations. So you're going to gather information. You have questions about everything, you know, and um, you'll you'll talk a lot. Sometimes parents get very, how do you say? They get a little impatient with you at this time. And if you are very very um, intuitive, if you are very excited, if you are very intelligent, and you like to talk a lot you might have irritated your parents, and you might have heard, just be quiet, just shush, go away, stop talking. You know, That's not helpful. Okay. I'll tell you why. When it, the, and the stronger that message is and the more consistent it is, and if it's, if it's accompanied with a SWAT or whatever that really drives the point home, um, you're going to struggle with being able to speak out and ask when you need something. Why that wounding experience, it shuts you down. If you're shut down, you get an impression, if there's a negative reaction from your parents when you have lots of questions and you want to talk about things, and what's that and what's this, what do you call that? Um, If you get an impression there's something wrong with that, that that's wrong to to be inquisitive and and want to know things, you're going to shut down inside. And the problem with that is that scripturally what Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. What the enemy's strategy is, is to get you to stop asking. If he can get you wounded in this area so that you shut down because you believe it's shameful, I'm just supposed to know without asking, which is not possible. It it hinders you in learning. It hinders you in being free to ask questions when you need to. Um, You can begin to have difficulty speaking. There's a lot of negative effects that can happen if you were shut down and not not given the proper information that you needed at this stage, okay? Or given an impression, it's shameful to ask questions. Um, What can happen also when you're you're in this stage is um, if you're you're talking a lot and asking questions and your parents tease you or mock you for what you're saying or what you're asking. You know, sometimes dads, dads are very important. Once you break the symbiosis with mom, Dad has been important in, in your caretaking and being part of, be, you know, parenting you all along. Father's very important. Your fathers can change diapers. Amazing, isn't it? Fathers can, you know, it, the only thing you can't do is breastfeed. You know, that's that's kind of out of the the realm of possibility. But dads can be every everything else. So the relationship with the child, although the primary influence is through mom, the dad's relationship with the child is also very important for security. Um, as we you know, heard the testimony this morning that God stepped in his father and it was beautiful for Naomi They're so lovely so we need that we need that knowing that, that our dad's there and, and for us but three to five dads become very important to little girls because that's their focus their papa and, and boys moms become very important and that's kind of part of their their formation of identity and understanding they learn from dad boys learn from dad how to be and they practice with mom Girls learn from mom how to be a girl, and they practice with dad. And so they, their focus becomes the, the parent of the opposite sex. There's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the natural developmental process. They're, mo- they're practicing their modeling. Um, little girls will often say, oh, daddy, when, you, when I grow up, I want to marry you. Yeah, so The only problem is, you know, you have to, then you set the boundaries. say, well, honey, I'm married to your mom, so no, you can't marry me, but you can marry somebody like me. Now here's the here's the clincher, guys. You got to be the kind of guy you want your daughter to marry. You know, you model what you what you will, because she will marry somebody like you. She'll choose someone like you. Um, girl with boys, the focus is mom. I remember my little nephew was funny when he he got to be this age. He said, "Dad, you can t- stay in my room. I'm going to sleep with mom." And he said, "No, nah, not really. <laughs> you know, that's fine, but no, I'm going to stay here. You go back to your own room. You know, there's they're not there's not being you know, evil or wicked or sinful. It's just they're testing. They're practicing what they see, and they're modeling what they've been modeled. Um, getting back to asking questions and and being embarrassed. Um, if you mock or ridicule a child when they're asking questions, if you've been rock- mocked or ridiculed, y- you it's embarrassing for you. You get a sense of shame to have to ask questions. You know, fathers think it's funny now that kids can talk. That they can tease them and play with them about the words. Well, they're not that mature in their communication yet. Yeah. You know? So you, you're walking down the street and they, you know you're looking and oh, daddy, what's that? Oh, that's an airplane. Oh, oh yeah, airplane, airplane. airplane. And you practice, you know, airplane, airplane, airplane. So next day you're walking with your dad. Daddy, airplane. No, that's a truck. Oh, you know, think. And you see the confusion in the kids and the parents, You know, the father thinks it's funny. It was, it's not funny. Because what you're doing is you're confusing, confusing their information gathering. They're just beginning to get information so they have, a, they have a sense of security in their perceptions of their environment. Okay, And so they need to have accurate, clear, correct information about their world and how, what things are called and labeled so they can f- feel secure. Later when they're 6 to 12, you can tease and kid and play with them. Give, they need to form that sense of security first you might be have met people that are often very um, insecure or uncertain about their perceptions of reality or perceptions of what they hear and see um, the reason that often happens is because they in their information gathering time at this age they didn't get clear accurate information they were teased or mocked or ridiculed and they're insecure they, they may say you know did you see this? This is what I saw. Did you see that? Or the boss said this. Is that what you heard? They're double-checking what they hear and perceive all the time because they're really not too sure they heard it right. Yeah, And so it, it creates an insecurity in people about their perceptions of reality. Um, social skills. This is a time when... You know, as as mentioned before, the modeling of the mom and dad are important for the child. The boys they're modeling from dad, and the girls modeling from mom. And then they practice with their mom and dad, and they they like to practice um, developing in their social skills. They please, thank you. Um, they they love to learn things like that. They love to please their mom and dad. Okay, two year olders, they don't care about pleasing you. they they're you know, but. Three-year-olders, when you're three, you want to please your mom and dad. And so it's a really good time to teach them, please, thank you, and all, you know, all the things that are socially appropriate for the culture. So they're secure in their culture. There was, um, uh, Skinner was a a, um, behaviorist in the 60s, 70s, that time frame, and he believed his children should not be restrained by these social norms and all this stuff. So he just kind of let them be like natural and wild and eat with their fingers and they never learned to eat properly at the table. When they grew up, they were all in classes to learn, and they were so upset. They're, they were interviewing some of these kids. They said, "You know, our parents really hindered us by not teaching us proper behavior for our culture. You know They thought they were letting us be free, you know, but you know they didn't even know how to eat properly at the table or with forks and knives. they had to, they had to take classes to learn those things that they should have learned in their family. So it's important that we teach the kids the proper social, Behavior. Um, let me say a couple other things because in our culture we get running so fast. You know, we're eating in the car, we're, you know, we're, different things. Uh, you know, we need to, and let me just say for health reasons, when you eat, it's important to sit, sit down and rest and be eating properly at a table. Um, you know, the kids, for their digestion and their health, they need to learn how to do that. If they're eating on the go, you know, we have t- teenagers eating sandwiches going down the street, and, you know, and, and kids in the car eating. Because we've learned that, but, but it's not healthy. They're finding out that that's having a very negative effect on <sighs> developing digestion and, and weight problems and, you know, all kinds of things. So, um, so there's reasons why there's proper ways of doing things that are, that are helpful, okay? Um, now, every once in a while, we might have to have a snack in the car. That's not, I'm not saying, you know, religiously, this is some, legalistically, we have to do this. But recognize that there, there is a, an importance for the kids to learn proper social behaviors. <clears throat> and also for yourself, if you have a, conversational skills. This is where you learn, um, you want to talk all the time, and you've got to learn boundaries for your talking. Um, when parents are, are your information gathering, when parents can give you give you information about how to interrupt, you know, excuse me, Dad, excuse me, Mom, um, it, when it's important, then that helps know to know your boundaries and to know how to how to interact in situations when you need to inter- interact or inter- interfere or, or get your Dad's or Mom's attention. Um, people that haven't learned those boundaries are often very difficult in their adult life. They don't know how to listen. They don't know how to, you know, exchange in conversation. They either talk all the time or they never talk or, you know, so it it hinders you if you haven't learned conversational skills. Um, But again, that's something that can be restored and and renewed in your life if you haven't had that. Your effect on relationships, this is really funny. Um, At this age, kids will repeat what they hear. And it's amazing how they can hear when you think they're sleeping in the dead of the night, you know. And well there was one family driving home from church and they were complaining about the pastor and the message and they weren't quite in favor of what he was teaching and so they got home and they, this little three year old was sitting in the back seat listening to the whole thing and then she comes around the pastor comes later in the afternoon for coffee you know You know, of course everybody's forgotten about the conversation in the car and I tell you everything you say they will repeat in public because they love to see the effect yeah <laughs> So they open the door, and, you know, oh, Mom, Dad, that stupid pastor you're talking about is here. You know, they will say it. I'm telling you. Watch what you say around those, you know. Your grandchildren, they'll expose you every time, you know. They'll let, let it out there, you know. And, and then, of, of course, the pastor's like, and they, you know, if you've been in ministry long enough, you know that happens. <laughs> you, know, you know, you know. I love these people that come up and tell you, I love your message, but, you know, here it comes, you know. There's, there's a correction coming from someone. There's some people, we'll talk about it later, that feel that they're ordained by God to be the defenders of the faith. And they will tell you in detail you know, every every period, question mark, or whatever that you made <laughs> mistaken in your sharing. So um, I used to tell people, I said, you know what, if you've got a recommendation, please write it down and I'll pray about it. <laughs> but I don't want to hear it right after I give the, the message. Anyway, um, but kids will do that. And they, they don't mean to embarrass you they, you know, if you say it, they figure it's okay to say, you know, out loud, somewhere else, you know, so, I love this one, this one, um, we went over to this one place for dinner one night, and um, the little girl, they had a little five-year-old girl, and she was f- helping her dad, her mom, all day long, preparing them food, and so, you know, so, and she's learning how to pray, so she's very excited, so she said, she went, so mom said, why don't you pray for the meal, and she said, oh, mom, I'm, I don't think I know what to say, she said, well, honey, just, just pray what you hear mom pray. And she said, okay. So she bowed her head and all these people at the table, <laughs> bowed her head and we very, very seriously closed her eyes and she said, Dear Lord, why did I invite all these people for dinner? <laughs> you know. <laughs> the whole place cracked up, you know. And the woman's like, ah, oh, you know, oh my why did I say pray like I pray? Oh, so anyway, you know, you just never know. So, and I'm sure some of you, there's stories about what you said, about what that your parents said, and, and you pass it on. And usually the reactions is, you know, and the, and the reaction, if it's really a lot of reaction, encourages the child to do it more. So, you know, it, you have to just realize that that's, that's just, it's, they're not being naughty. They're just being three to five <laughs> and doing what they're supposed to do. Okay, acculturation. This is when the child begins to take in a culture. So the cultural ways. Um, now, all of these things are in the natural, and all of these things are going to be transposed into the supernatural, into the kingdom, because there is a culture in the kingdom as well. Okay? And um, there's ways of behaving. There's identification things in, in, the, in the kingdom of God. Um, there, just like we have a natural culture, we have a kingdom culture. And the scripture tells us how to live in the kingdom culture. Your acculturation and your natural culture, the things that line up with and, and agree with the word of God are wonderful. And you want to hold on to those things. And there's some lovely things that are just unique for, for your culture that are, um, it's, it's a, how do we say, it's a neutral. It's like there's just some lovely, different, unique things in this culture of South Africa that aren't, don't exist anywhere else in the world, you know. Um, You've a lovely environment. You have, you know, there's some very precious things that God's given you. He loves variety, he he loves uniqueness, and so there's some unique and wonderful things that are um, the colorful clothing and you know the you, just lovely things about your your culture that that are unique to you, and they're wonderful and precious and hold on to them. But the things in your culture, in all of our cultures, that go against what God says is is kingdom culture. That's when we have. The problem. When we have a clash of cultures with the kingdom of God, then there needs to be a change. Okay, because there's some things like sometimes in cultures I, I grew up in the Catholic Church and grew up with the idea that you don't talk in church and you're very quiet in church and you certainly don't talk about your your faith and belief outside. It's a very private thing between you and the Lord. And so sharing with other people was just not part of the you know understanding in our in my background. Until I got set free, and then things changed quite a bit. <laughs> but um, but that was our culture. It was not what the, the biblical culture was. It was not the kingdom culture. It was a church culture. There's religious things in our lives. There's cultures from um, not only your family and your your greater culture, but there's church culture. We have if you've been in a Christian family, and let me say this: um, sometimes. The people who have the most difficulty receiving new things from the Lord and healing from the Lord um, are people who have had a long history of, we've been Christians for generations. That doesn't mean you got it all right, you know? Um, Yes, we value and we hold precious and dear our inheritances from our family. But if there's religious things that are not biblical, it's got to change. Religious tradition is not biblical truth. Many times, okay? Um, people think dying to self is killing yourself. No. You're not supposed to just run yourself into the ground for Christ. And that, that's, that's a distortion of biblical truth. It's a, a tradition that's not true. So some of our traditions, Jesus said it's one of the biggest things that gets in the way of the, the power of the Word of God. Now, you can trust what Jesus says, okay? So when Jesus says, Because of your traditions, the word of God's made of of no effect, that's pretty serious. He says, you've got a choice here. you Are going to hang on to your old way of doing things, or are you going to let me teach you something fresh and new and give you a revelation that will take you into a new relationship or a depth of relationship? The wonderful song we sang, um, Hold Me Closer, Draw Me Nearer. When we come nearer to the Lord, he's going to reveal some things in us that have to go. Yeah, that are hindering us from being near to him. And don't be afraid of that, you know? You know, sometimes it's, it's it, let's say this. There's some things that were right for a season but the, or a period of time in, in in kingdom history, but that time has passed now. and And there's new things coming forth. God's always doing something new. It's not that he changes or truth changes, but our capacity to grasp it and move into it changes as we mature. okay, Our ability to get it and move into it changes as we mature in him. And that means you hold truth or you hold revelation with an open hand. You know, there's things that were wonderful in a certain season of time, or a certain time in the kingdom, and now we've moved into a new season. And other things are important that God wants to share with us. He, he has a, a deep, deep treasure house of revelation that, that we have in probably scratched the surface of yet. We're going to be learning for all eternity about the ways of God. And, and so being sensitive to what's happening now and being able to follow the spirit and responding to that in our lives and, and how we're developing and growing is very important. Um, one of the things that in acculturation, you take in your language, you take in your cultural ways, how do we have celebrations, how do we um, have family family life, how do we eat meals, all those things that are specifically unique to our cultures, we'll take in now. Um, in the kingdom, it's the same. So as we're talking today, we're going we're gonna to talk about what was formed in you in terms of your natural development, and then what God wants to do in terms of restoring and transforming you into a kingdom identity, because he says clearly, the old things will be put away, and, and you can become a new creation, Okay. He's made you new in your spirit man. And that spirit man in Romans 12, 1, 2 says that we are um, we are to no longer conform to this world. That means we've been formed in our formative years and growing up, we've been formed into a certain way of doing things. But he said, don't, don't stay in that form anymore. Break out of it, yeah? Break out and let me make you a new creation. Let the new creation in you become begin to renew your mind begin to renew your your um, your life and you will be transformed let's look at Romans 12 2 it's a, it's a wonderful scripture if you have your Bible here um, because it, it's it talks about transformation and transformation is more than just change it's actually becoming a different species okay so in, in Romans 12 2 it says um, don't um, any longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it says in the in the Living Translation, "But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know how to, how to judge God's will for what is good and pleasing and perfect to Him." Um, transformation means you become a totally different species. Now, that totally different species is not different from who you are, it's the real you that's being set free, that's inside you, that God made alive again. Um, you're thinking, this is very interesting, because how you think affects what you believe and how you behave. What's wonderful about the fact that it's renewing of your mind transforms you is God wants to, God knows that what we think affects how we how we are, Okay. That's great because you're, you, your emotions don't affect how you are. Emotions are a sign of what you're thinking. Okay, so let's, let's give me an example. Let's say you're looking at somebody across the room and they have a very, you know, disturbed look and they're looking in your direction, yeah? Now, I, I walk in the room and I don't, I'm not particularly feeling uncomfortable, but I see that face looking at me and think, oh, What's wrong with them? <laughs> you know what? Then you start thinking. Now this is imp- this is where you get in trouble when you overadapt and you don't check it out. You're looking at this face and this person's room. Mm, now, why, why are they looking at me like that? You know, what's what's wrong with them? Now, what did I do to them? Are they upset with me about something? What did I do? You've already started the scenario in your head. Yeah, what did I do? Did I do something to offend them? I just, I don't. Well, now wait a minute. I haven't seen that person a long long time, and they have nothing to be upset about, and. Why are they looking at me like that? You know, you're all upset. You're ready to f- de- get into a battle with them. You don't even know what's going on yet. Yeah? Then you get over there and you find out, oh, man, I've got such bad indigestion. I can't believe it. I ate that for a <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever presuppose something and then find out later you were totally wrong? You look at the face go, oh, you know, and you're all ready for the battle and the conflict and there's nothing going on, you know, that you, be renewed by by your mind. Yeah, renew your mind. The Lord wants us to start getting the right thinking going. You know, you will perceive what you think. Belief is based on and comes from your your experiences in childhood, your family, what you were taught in your family, your generational inheritances, um, your cultural the cultural impact on your life. Those beliefs formed in you have a have a very powerful effect on what you will think and feel and how you'll behave. And when those things are not accurate, that will cause you problems. Rewind again? Okay. What affects your belief system? Okay, your your family, your experience in childhood, so your your experiences growing up. If you get hurt or broken or messed up, um, it, in your family, what they teach you, what their belief system is, they pass that on. Generational inheritances, so... Things that, that have been in the generations for a long time are strongholds over the mind. Some families have negative perceptions of things and negative perceptions of the world. And from generation to generation, it becomes darker and darker. And you inherit that that bent to go that way. Um, or your culture, your greater culture. Okay, So we get programmed in our thinking. And our thinking is what affects how we are and who we are. Um, the good news about that is you can change your thoughts. It's not so easy to, to control your emotions, but you can change your thinking. Okay, when you, kn- when you know the truth, the lies lose their power. That's why the scripture says, you shall know the truth. When, when, well, actually, this is what it says. In John eight thirty one. it says that if you hold to my teachings... Okay there's a condition. We often say you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Not without the first part. The first part. Let's look at this John 8:31 if you have your bibles. John 8:31. Cuz Jesus here he's talking to people who believe in him. He's talking to believers. So not all believers, and this is, please hear this, not all believers are disciples. Not all believers are following Jesus and living what he said to do. They believe, they're in the door, they're saved, but if they don't, they're not following Jesus, they're not maturing in their salvation. They're not growing up in their salvation. So Jesus is talking to believers, and he says, to those who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will, then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So it's not automatic with believing. It's automatic when you make a decision, I'm going to know the teachings and be faithful to the teachings. Being faithful is knowing and living, putting into action what the Bible says yeah when you begin to live the truth the the bible the teachings of jesus then he said you will know the truth and the truth will make you free um because you're walking in the truth you're putting into action what jesus said is the right way to live yeah and so um this this part about your belief system is really important because what this will affect how you see things it affects your perceptions if you believe a lie you will live a lie yeah that's why the brokenness is, is so um, important to have healed in our life. G- the, the enemy brought negative, hurtful experiences into your life so that he could make a way to infect you with his lies. He wounds you to infect you. If you have a wound in your flesh, okay, and you clean it out and get rid of it, okay, everything's cool, if that wound isn't healed, what will happen? It'll get reinfected, yeah. When we have wounds in our heart that we've ignored and we haven't dealt with, the play, the enemy has a place to infect us with his lies. That's his strategy. If he can get into our hearts by, through brokenness, he can infect you with a lie. People wounded by rejection, then they believe the lie: "You will always be rejected," and they expect to be rejected, and they're they're afraid of rejection, and they. You know, they, they reject others before they can be rejected. It creates a whole lifestyle out of a lie. When they're healed and the lie is uprooted from their heart, and the Lord can give them the truth that you, when your parents abandoned you, I took you. You are always loved and accepted in, in this kingdom and the family of God. Um, you are beloved and you are precious and you are a blessing. When the truth is there, it will set you free from the lie that you're always going to be rejected see but we'll live the lie until we get free the enemy he has his only power is to convince us to believe him if we believe him we give him access into our life okay now sometimes you don't know you don't know why you believe what you believe yeah but there's situations in life that'll come up and reveal what's what's happening that helps you you know, get an idea of what what's going on inside your heart. It's circumstances of life that will trigger or bring to the light that hidden thing in you, like we've been experiencing these last days. Um, some of us, we don't know. We don't have a memory before two years old, a clear memory of our lives, very few. Have, they might have little glimpses and things, but not clear memory before two. And so you don't have access in your mind to those times, but the Holy Spirit knows. And it's hidden in your heart. And he reveals the things hidden in our heart and brings it into the light so we can see what happened um, <clears throat> I had a just a personal story I had a situation where I, I struggled with and maybe some people here understand this um, when something went wrong I always felt like it's somehow my fault yeah and I, I you know I you know so guilt and condemnation was something that would come against me the enemy could be, could attack me with that and I used to resist it and throw it off and you know and I, I never quite got the revelation of where it came from. I kept asking the Lord and I finally asked the Lord, I said well I didn't finally ask him clearly. I finally said, Lord, why do I always feel that every yeah, somehow it's my fault if something goes wrong? Um, came up very strong when my husband passed away again. And I thought, Where is this coming from? And finally the Lord got my you know, the Lord says, Finally you're asking the right question, I can tell you. I had never asked. You know, I thought I had dealt with a certain issue that happened with my dad. Um, what happened was he came home from the war. He, my mom and my dad were married. Um, he had a very, very traumatic experience during the war. And, you know, he, the man, a couple of guys next to him got blown up and killed, and so he really came home pretty emotionally shaken. He was very young, and too young to see some of the things he saw during the war, World War II. So when he get back home, he was struggling, you know, to adjust to being back home. To adjust to the, the, they didn't know about post-traumatic war syndrome then, but he had it, you know. And um, so he was struggling with that. And he was already married to my mom, getting used to getting back home, getting used to being married again. Um, Then, you know, my parents lost a baby before me. And then suddenly I came along and my dad disappeared. He had an emotional breakdown. He just, he was, and he, didn't know where he was. He lost, you know, he was wandering. My grandfather went out and found him. But the breakdown happened when I was conceived and when I came to be. So whose fault was it? The baby in the womb gets an impression. The first thing I heard in the healing prayer was my mother crying and calling my dad's name, saying why did you leave us? Why did you leave us? And I'm thinking mom's suffering because of me this happened because of me it's not logical it's, it's nobody told me that was my fault it's just an impression you get from life circumstances the enemy used that experience to put a wound in my heart that when bad things happen somehow it's my fault and that, that made it a place for him to infect me with a lie of guilt and condemnation it was a huge struggle you know, I'm finally beginning... And I'm am I'm, you, know, I've just been teaching this for 30 years, guys. This only happened about four years ago. And, you know, that I got the deeper revelation. I had dealt with the abandonment of my dad. I said, okay, well, I, I fear abandonment and, because he left and he came back, but he left. And, you know, it just, it, it was weird. I didn't get to that deeper revelation until another situation happened in my life that was very deeply disturbing when Frank passed away. So, God has a timing. I don't know why he waits till certain times, but he does. I'm still getting healed. And I, I want to continue getting healed. Because I want to keep going from glory to glory and <laughs> grace to grace. And strength to strength until Jesus comes. Um, and I know he'll, he'll work in and through these things in your lives as well. Um, and when the time comes, it'll be the right time for whatever he wants to do in your lives. But this was the thing that made an opening for the lie of the enemy. And I believe that lie. And I live that lie. And to some level, I felt when things go wrong, I was like, ooh, what did I do, you know? And it had nothing to do with me, many times. It wasn't my fault, I didn't do anything, that it caused the problem, but I always felt like somehow I should have done something or been something or, you know, whatever, that it would, have, would not have happened, and it wasn't true. But it was true, that it had the impact of affecting my life, even though it wasn't true. So that's how the enemy works. Um, I heard a wonderful explanation of, of generational inheritances once. We have they, part of our problem is we have generational iniquities. Um, those are—it's not iniquities are not sin. They're they're bents or uh, how do we say? They're weaknesses towards certain behaviors or beliefs or, or thinking, um, and it's 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 a bending or a free a, you know how do you say this a. Like, a tree should be straight, but when it, it, it's affected by something negative, it gets bent. And in our family line, sometimes things that have happened in the past cause our parents to believe things that were not true, and they pass it on to us. Yeah? Sometimes it comes through sin. Sometimes it's just they believe the lies. Um, well, in our family, we always have miscarriages. And if that gets passed on and everybody believes it, you're bent to believe or you're more inclined to believe that you're going to have a miscarriage. So there, there's like um, uh, a bent that we inherit from our families that towards certain things that are destructive or negative, where the enemy gets an access as well. Okay, I heard that that explanation is very interesting. That's why we have weaknesses to certain things in our families that other families don't. Yeah, there's a there's a, a because of the the bent or the predisposition to go that way or or believe that or come under that we're already weakened in that area to go that way until the Lord, until you break the generational curses. Tomorrow we're going to deal with generational inheritances, things that we inherited from what other people in past generations have decided to do. And the, and we don't inherit the guilt for that. We inherit the consequences of that through the weaknesses and through curses and through bondages that pass on to us, even though we didn't do it. Yeah, That's why it says the Lord... Um, to the third and fourth generation, these things can affect us. Yeah, we don't know four generations back what happened, but we can we can inherit things that from what they decided or what they believed or what they um, lived that may not be truth from the biblical perspective. And we can be free from that. We can ask God's forgiveness for them, either the sin they entered into or the, the um, lies they believed, and we can forgive them for passing it on to us and break that inheritance. The negative, we embrace it and we love them and we're thankful for the good inheritance of our families but we leave behind the empty inheritance as it says in scripture to to really inherit in the kingdom what belongs to us.